0: spn now live inside the matt black kia studios here's mike gill ah it is here the nfl season is just three days away the eagles will play on sunday we are in full football mode ready to go sports bash is live i'm mike gill that's hunter brody josh henning is producing today's show you out there. We got so much to dive into. Yes, the Eagles play on Sunday. Yeah, baby. The 53-man roster is set. Scott Grayson is back with Grayson's grades. He'll grade the 53-man roster position by position right now at 97.3 ESPN.com. Andrew DeCheco has football at four. There's a lot of football. I was this whole Jason Peters story. You know, the last time I was on the air, I was fired up about boy. Oh, boy. What happened on Saturday, I was on the call with Doug Peterson, and that thing, I mean, what a farce that whole story was.
1: Here's where I How stand on that. Uh, look, with Jason Peters, I, I thought about this on my drive down today. This crew of Doug Peterson, Howie Roseman, Jeffrey Lurie, they're the three stooges. They're the three
0: stooges when it comes to— How does a team that wins a world championship— have the three stooges.
1: Well, when it comes to media presence, it's like they try and lie so much. They just get caught in all these lies and trying to hide so much. Dude, when it comes to on-field production, they win games, so that's what matters, but when it comes to the media side,
0: they're the three stooges. Peterson was awful the other day. I mean, it was like, he wasn't asking you to read between the lines. He was basically saying, I'm ecstatic. I am thrilled to death. That he came to my office and told me he decided to play left tackle. Do you really think that's how it went down? Jason Peters
1: just walked on in. Hey, Doug, in case you were wondering, I'll play left tackle. And then he walked out the door. There's no
0: way. Right. He just walked down to his office, knocked on the door. Peterson had him penciled in at right guard. And all of a sudden, here comes six foot five, three 320-pound man banging on my door as... Doug Peterson put it. He says, obviously he knocked and it's a big man walking through my door. I was happy to see Jason Peters. I was just thrilled to death when he shared the news. I'm not going to get into the contract stuff. That's not my area, but I was excited that he shared that he was moving over to the left side and sliding over to the left side. I was thrilled. I mean, I couldn't have been happier, not only for him, but I think for uh, For just shows a sign of great leadership by him, and I gave him a big hug and said, Let's go. You gave the man a big hug where last week you were pretty content on him playing right guard, weren't you? Leadership? Leadership? The guy was holding out because he wanted more
1: money to play left tackle. What type of leadership is that? This is what I'm talking about. They're just so ridiculous, this whole crew, and. And to be fair, the only thing that really matters is winning football games. And I think that they do that enough for me to be satisfied, of course. But when it comes to how they speak to us, this is one of the weirdest group of individuals I have ever been associated with as a fantasy. How about
0: the next question? The follow-up to that was, had you expected this? Did you think Jason Peters would ever do this? And Peterson says, I had not expected this. We continue to talk to Jason and all that. But listen, we were comfortable with him at right guard. Yeah, sure you were because you jumped up and gave the guy a hug. You were that comfortable with them. Uh, he says, we had to move forward and get ready for the season that way. It's just one of those pleasant surprises that we all kind of hoped would come true. I mean, how he's being as transparent as possible. We all hoped that he would back off of his stance and move to left tackle like we asked him. Now, here's the question. Did the Eagles ask him to move and he said, no, I want more money Or did they essentially sweeten the pot and say, look, we're not going to pay you more money now because we're in cap, we got cap problems, but we guarantee that we will bring you back next year? And he acquiesced and said, if you could tell me I'll be back on the roster next year if I want to keep playing, because I'm sure he does. He said he wants to play till 40. Did they put a little squeaky deal and say, all right, we'll bring you back again next year?
1: I don't know if it's exactly bringing him back next season, but I do think that there's something that was slid underneath the table for him to just happily walk on over and go, Doug, I'm going to do it. I'm going to play left tackle. There's no way he just woke up one morning and decided, yeah, this is what I'm going to do after essentially holding out, with air quotes, because he was holding out, yet playing right guard at the same time. This whole situation is just bonkers, but here's reality. This helps the football team, and that matters. So,
0: Okay, that's great. That's an interesting point you bring up. So Andre Dillard getting hurt moves Peters back to left tackle. Does it essentially make them a better offensive line all of a sudden? When healthy, yes. The problem is now when somebody goes down, you're really screwed
1: because Matt Pryor at that point would have been the vi tie type player where you would plug and play when needed for the most part, and now you don't really have that. What is the next option if someone goes down? Well, he
0: keeps mentioning the kid Driscoll that they drafted in the fourth round this year. I think they're going to try to turn him into the the Vi who's you know a guy who can play some guard, can go play some tackle. You know, he played tackle at Auburn. He's played some guard. Um, is he the guy Driscoll that went to from Boston College to Auburn? Right. I think when he was at BC, he played guard. I think when he went to Auburn, he moved to tackle. Um, and then they've got Mayalata, who I don't know where he stands on there. You know, they seem to like him a lot,
1: though, at at the tackle position.
0: Just the tackle. Yeah, he is just a tackle. People ask, well, why don't you try him at guard? Well, he's six foot seven, three hundred and thirty pounds, and oh, by the way, has no football experience, whatever, uh, other than playing tackle the last two years. And last year he kind of got hurt; he had that back problem. So they really can't count on him to be the swing guy. I think really he is their hope to be a left tackle maybe down the road once Peters or Dillard was, you know, in, in that event. But I don't think you see a situation where they trust my to play. That's why now Cordy Glenn, there was some talk about him over the weekend. They brought him in and Doug was pretty uh, transparent about eh, his workout went OK. And I'll just leave it at that. In other words, eh, we had a better option in-house. And that go, that's where it's interesting to me, because if Cordy Glenn was working out and he was like, oh, he came in and did a good a good job, but we'll leave it at that. Did, did they go to Jason Peters and give him an ultimatum that, look, we're not bringing Cordy Glenn in here. We have no more money to spend. We're not giving it to you. We're not giving it to him. And you're moving the left tackle whether you like it or not. I
1: don't know. Because doesn't that just give all the cards to Jason Peters? You know, if that's the case, if, if he knows how desperate the Eagles really are and he's determined to get his type of money, don't you think that telling Jason Peters that only allows Jason Peters now to have all the power? So I don't know if they would go down that Well, road. that's
0: interesting that you say that because there's a lot of people out there that are questioning, you know, not questioning, but basically insinuating that Peters went in and dictated, I'll go play left tackle. I'm, de- I'm deciding to play left tackle. You're not making me. I'm making the decision that I'll play left tackle. Not because you're telling me, because I've made the decision.
1: Think about this conversation we're having, and I think it just describes perfectly how I say it's a mess when these three individuals somehow speak for this Eagles football team.
0: Yeah, but like, if you heard wild, if you heard Roseman on Saturday, I guess it was Saturday. I don't really remember the day. what did you kinda, do Saturday? Is there a reason why you don't remember? Um, it was Saturday. Uh, No, I wasn't available to watch the Howie Roseman uh, Zoom call, I'm sorry. Watching the Flyers debacle. Is
1: that what you were doing? Yeah, we'll get into that. uh, I I didn't know if you were doing other things, maybe on the beach, maybe a long day on the beach, maybe don't remember what happened on the beach. It was a
0: long day. Okay. Yeah. Too long? Uh, I wouldn't say so. Okay. I I actually uh, was the one person who was lobbying to stay longer. Well, maybe that means you weren't drinking as much as the others. <laughs> no, I think they were. They had enough because it was getting a little chilly. Oh, okay. Starting to get a little chilly on the beach after a little certain time. But what Roseman said on Saturday, it kind of insinuated to me that hmm, I think he's going to move. Did you hear what he, I mean? Did you hear that at all? Yeah, I, I saw what
1: everybody. I was seeing all the quotes. I didn't listen to his full on pressure, but I'm I trying got to the, find
0: the actual quote. That yeah, I, I,
1: I saw a bunch of quotes from what he had to say, but I'm honestly at the point now where they frustrate me. Listening to them speak actually frustrates me to the point where I'm leaning towards tuning them out whenever they actually talk. I will change when it comes to post-game stuff. Of course, I want to hear the head coach speak after the post-game situation, but all this nonsense about who's playing where and this in training camp and this guy look good, that guy. I can't believe anything that they say anymore. Because they just speak in full circles, and they, they're hypocrites. they hypocrites. They say one thing, and they say another thing the next day, and then a couple weeks later, they back off of what they said. It's hard for me to even follow the three stooges.
0: Well, he talked about, he says, in terms of Jason Peters, the guy's been here for 11 years, right? We made the trade in 2009, so 11 years. I don't know that I've ever met, Um, and this was like full-on, like, we're going to give Jason Peters, like, the, the, you know, so he says, I don't know that I've ever met anyone who cares more about the team, bleeds green, cares about protecting players on and off the field, whatever it takes. So, like, this whole conversation about Jason that I guess is out there, that, like, he doesn't want to do this or he doesn't want to do that or there's a stubbornness on one side or another, the relationship with us and him has been special. The thing that you see when you see Jason Peters is that he can really do anything. So obviously, he has played left tackle at a high level, at a Hall of Fame level, and then you watch him play right guard, and he's doing an amazing job there. And we're used to having a Pro Bowl quality player at that spot, too. I think for us, we know that we have to look at all these options and figure out what's in the best interest of the team and that what we're doing right now. We're looking at all those options. I know Jason was here this morning on an off day and he's excited and we're excited. That was Saturday. Okay. So then he goes into uh, some of the options here, but it was like the Eagles were trying to go out of their way to talk about how much of a team player Jason Peters was and I don't think that it didn't change my opinion on what happened here. The the Eagles basically I don't know I don't know I don't know how they pressured them, but something changed where Peters all of a sudden got this out the story out there. It's evident that the story had to be accurate, right? The way that Peterson is like, Oh, I gave him a hug. I was excited as could be. I'm thrilled to death. Yeah, when we had Adam
1: Kaplan on for football at four, he was saying that He heard that the stories were true about the whole asking for more money because there was some speculation. I think Doug Peterson actually spoke and tried to shut that whole conversation down after there was an initial story. That
0: was on Thursday. Right. And then
1: Adam Kaplan came on and was like, I'm hearing the same thing about the money stuff. So that was obviously a part of this whole equation. So for it to just flip-flop the way that it did and turn the page so quickly— clearly something had to be done in the way that they're stressing how much of a great teammate he is. There has to be something behind it to the point where they're trying to save face a little bit with what happened.
0: Yeah. Uh, Peterson said on Thursday that I don't know where this story's coming from. What do you mean you don't know where this story's coming from? So why are you doing jumping jacks when the guy decided to say, you know what? So this is what Peterson said yesterday. He says, as it pertains to our left tackle, I can actually share some news with you that jason peters came in my office this morning and he has decided to slide over to left tackle listen this is unselfishness this is who he is when we talk about guys and we talk specifically about jason peters this is who he is he sacrifices not only his body but for the football team He did an outstanding job for us at right guard. It was a valuable experience for him to play over on the right side and get some interior work, but as he looks at not only where we are, but where he is, he came in today, and he was excited to move to left tackle so I can announce that, and I'm thrilled to death. Unselfishness. Come on. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, they really are trying to portray that this guy didn't ask for more money to go play that position. Now, he didn't get it. You could say that the Eagles checkmated him and said, hey, you're not getting more money. I would imagine there's some sort of deal somewhere coming down the road or something. And look, that doesn't mean that he might not get a contract today or tomorrow or, or whatever before this season starts. But do you think it sets a good precedent that this guy basically held their feet to the fire. Now, you could say that, well, the Eagles won. He's not getting paid more money, and he he decided to move. What if Jeffrey
1: Lurie just put some money in an envelope and slid it in the locker of Jason Peters?
0: Wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I think happens behind the scenes where – this is one of the reasons—I'm not saying that happened, of course, but I'm just saying, what if things like that go I'm sure it does, so you don't have to worry about the cap space and all this, and, hey, JP, why don't you come play left tackle? But do you agree with my assessment that they are the three stooges? I can't get over it. These three are like nothing else I've ever seen before. They just, they just talk in circles. Like I was trying to think of all the other coaches in Philadelphia— When Brett Brown speaks, yes, he has his his Brett Brownisms, if you will, and he talks, and the way he talks with the accent, it's goofy, and we we know what he brings to the table, but he doesn't give you crap. These three just try and sell you crap over and over again. Well, the whole
0: situation with Peters the other day saying, I don't know where this story came from, it went from him not knowing where the story came from, that he's thrilled to death that Jason Peters decided to come down to the office. Not that they told Jason Peters, hey, you're playing left tackle. No, Jason Peters decided he's going to play left tackle. I think that sets up a pretty bad precedent. Oh, it definitely does. And like m- most coaches will give you coach
1: speak. This isn't even coach speak. Brett Brown was coach speak. Joe Girardi gives his coach speak. They give you your standard generic answers. This isn't just generic answers it's almost as if they're lying they just try and find ways to lie oh i think over this one's a clear i think this again. one's
0: a clear lie oh no big time it is absolutely <laughs> but, it is okay so
1: then i doesn't even matter no exactly that's a great point it doesn't matter because they win and you
0: you believe in this coach on game day. they were 4 and 12 and this constantly went on okay now they're bumbling fools they look like <laughs> idiots but the team wins they've been in the playoffs three straight years and they have a Super Bowl, so they can keep giving you the runaround as much as you want until all of a sudden things don't go bad. But this was ridiculous. I mean, so now all of a sudden, Peters decides, yeah, I'm going to go play left tackle. You got Pryor back at right guard. I said it last show that I was on. You played a playoff game last year. The same two players played opposite positions, and you were trying to tell me on Wednesday or Thursday, Doug Peterson, that it made more sense to flip them this year? Come on. you don't, You don't see the logic? You must be the only one missing it. Man, oh man. Well, you remember the last show I did on Wednesday, I was or whatever date it was, Tuesday? I was all fired up about this. I mean, come on, you were really trying to make me believe that Jason Peters playing guard and Matt Pryor, a man who's never played left tackle, was a better option to play left tackle. What, what kind of idiots do you take us for? That's the problem I have. Like they were staring at you in the face and trying to portray, hey, you idiots. Jason Peters is better at guard and Pryor's better at tackle. No, I'm not an idiot, and they aren't either, because they flipped it right back as soon as Jason Peters decided to play left tackle. Guess what? All of a sudden, it looked a whole hell of a lot better to the Eagles for Jason Peters to go back to tackle. And guess what? In the end, the Eagles are better off for it. Oh, they're definitely
1: better off for it. I I can't wait for Sunday. Now that we're sitting here talking about it, we know it's actually game week. I am starting to get fired up, especially once I see Thursday night's game to see what it actually looks like because I actually watched a little bit of that BYU-Navy game yesterday night, and I'm sorry. I I could not get into it. I thought that it was a really awkward environment. It was really, like, Energy was really low, and I need to see what it looks like on Thursday for me to put myself more in yeah. the mindset. But I am juiced up for football now that it's see, game. See that
0: Navy BYU game? It didn't. I didn't watch a whole heck of a lot of it, but it didn't turn me off too much because I've seen college games where, especially those late, like ten thirty at night, West Coast like whack games when there's not that many people there. Right. But this right. wasn't
1: Clemson or anything big, so it does change the scenario of what yeah. type of game it was.
0: It does. It's going to be weird when they run out of that tunnel and there's not anybody to greet them.
1: Well, we'll see what happens on Thursday because maybe we'll, I got we'll be pleasantly surprised. There's not
0: going to be anybody there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that, but
1: the presentation. Well, actually, I don't know. Where way, are they at? Yeah, you're, hey, look, maybe they there are. It could be. It's in uh, Houston, I believe. I believe it's in Houston.
0: No? Well, if it's in Houston, they probably they probably are allowed to have people in Texas, I would imagine. I'm not sure about Kansas City, but...
1: Oh, I lied. It's in Kansas City.
0: Yeah, I figured it would be in Kansas City. Yeah, they they won the
1: Super Bowl. By the
0: way, uh, John Clark from NBC Sports is reporting that uh, it looks good that Jalen Rieger will be back to play in week number two.
1: That's great news. It's it's interesting you brought that up because I feel something that I am missing for this game is Jalen Rager. Like I really, really want to see what he's going to do in this offense. We keep hearing how intriguing he is. He could play in the slot. He could play in the outside. He could bring so much versatility to this to this offense that I'm almost super bummed to not see him out in Week One yeah. because it, it's not truly the offense that we're going to see because you're missing such a big key piece.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good point, and and you know. Last year in the first week of the season against Washington, we saw Deshaun Jackson and what he brought. He's going to be back, but it's going to be unfortunate that he's not going to have Jalen on the other side to see what the offense is really going to look like. And, you know, maybe they get him back in week number two when they play the Rams and that would be a huge boost to the arm. But look, I think it's going to be very interesting to see because Deshaun Jackson now is like the de facto number one wide receiver where last year, I don't want to say he was like the number two, or but him and Alshon Jeffrey were pretty complimentary to each other. You had Alshon, who was kind of the more possession-type receiver, and you had D-Jack, who was the, the guy who takes the top off. Now, who's going to be the guy who complements Jackson to allow Jackson to get that one-on-one coverage? Do they have that guy in week number one? And, you know, we'll see. Because J.J. Artego whiteside we've been hearing good reports on, but I'm not ready to say I trust him yet.
1: Well, you also got to factor in, can the Eagles get away with it in this matchup? Now, clearly, the, re- the, the Washington football team... Has a phenomenal defensive line, yeah. That's going to be their bread and butter. Speaking of the Eagles' offensive line and Jason Peters, he might have a hell of a time getting thrown there for game one, going up against what they have on the other side. But can they get away with it against this secondary? And, and so their secondary is kind of kind of weak, right? Exactly. So maybe in this matchup, it allows the Eagles to kind of get away with having maybe not as
0: much firepower offensively. I, I, you know, and we talk about firepower. I don't know. Do we feel like? Uh, that this Eagles offense is better than the offense from last year. I, I, you have to, they had no Deshaun Jackson. And by the end of the year, they had nothing. I hope it's better than last year's. Right. I mean, Greg Ward and, and he was your
1: top dog last year. Now right. it's like you talk about him as that nice slot piece. Big, yes.
0: Big difference. Yeah. Big difference. Huge and you difference. Know, Miles Sanders at the beginning of the year, wasn't really a part of the offense that much. It was more Jordan Howard. And then they kind of split time. And then. Once Howard got hurt, it went to Sanders. You got the two tight ends that are back. I mean, obviously, I think there's more weaponry. Now they they signed this running back from Detroit the other day. He's another guy four three, forty speed. Like, they went from one of the most pedestrian speed teams in the league to probably one of the fastest teams in the league all of a sudden. So I'm interested to see how they get out there and utilize all this speed and if the offense is going to look any different. You remember, they brought in a whole bunch of new offensive minds. They don't really have an offensive coordinator, but they brought in a couple of new guys from outside the organization.
1: Well, aren't they saying that Scangarello is essentially going to be I don't that know that OC? he is
0: like uh, has the OC title. But I think he's just like some sort of offensive assistant. But I don't think they have an offensive. Co- they never hired one.
1: No, they don't technically on paper have an OC. But apparently he's the one that has yeah the OC role, if you will, without the actual title. So right. We'll, they didn't we'll want to give
0: anybody that title, I guess, because they didn't want to have like this. What happened last year where they had this blurred line of like who do you blame for things? And it's like well,
1: realistically, the OC is. Doug Peterson. That's how it works. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, When you have your head coach who is part of whatever side of the ball they are, they're essentially that coordinator.
0: All right. uh, We'll open up the PlaySugarHouse.com text board, 609-403-0973, 609-403-0973. PlaySugarHouse.com text board. Place your legal sports bets at PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now. They'll match your first deposit. Up to $250. Must be 21 or older to play. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Mike and Broads on a Tuesday. We are NFL heavy. We are Eagles heavy. Wow, Eagles are back. Whew, that's unbelievable. It's so weird. Back to school for a lot of kids today. Crazy. Yeah, it is. Scott Grayson's got Grayson's grades on the 53-man roster coming up today at 3 o'clock. Frank Close as the Phillies' mailbag. It's Tuesday with Thompson. But coming up next... It's a playoff beard's gone it is gone i look like i'm five go uh, check out the video of Brode shaving the beard to that really sad commercial music at 97.3 espn.com it's on there right now and uh, it's pretty sad and funny all at the same time flyers lose flyers are done flyers were dominated season over what's next though should we be excited about the future or are there more questions that need to be answered Kevin Durso, he joins us next for a look at what's next for the Orange and Black. We never stop talking Eagles and NFL. back to the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Uh, Flyer season's in the book. They lost uh, 4-0 the other night in Game 7. I mean, really, we're just never in that game. It almost seemed from Jump Street that that game was over. As soon as the puck was dropped, it never had the feeling that they were in that game ever. Well, the first three minutes or so, but after the three minutes, I agree with you. We hit the post, two
1: minutes in, I'm like, here we go!
0: Now, what what was the most disappointing thing about why they lost that game? I
1: just think they got dominated. But here's here's one thing I do need to bring up. There were three series that went from 3-1 to one, to 3-3. Three to three. And every single series, whoever was up 3-1, ended up actually winning so I think there's something to be said about how much energy it takes to finally get to that game
0: seven and then once you're there it's like damn we are crushed so what's next for the Flyers? We'll take a look back at that game real fast with Kevin Durso. And then look ahead because obviously you're thinking to yourself this was a team that made the playoffs. They probably wouldn't have been the one seed if the season played out. But now what's next for this team moving forward? How do they make that next jump? Let's bring Kevin Durso, Flyers insider, 97.3 ESPN.com, at Kevin underscore Durso. And he joins us now on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. And, Kevin, you know, when you look back to uh, Saturday night, was there something that stands out as, uh, man, this was really disappointing that this didn't stand up or step up or that didn't stand up, or was it just a, uh, what Broad said, that they just looked out of gas?
2: Yeah, It's what Broad said. I, I think they were just out of gas at this point in time. Um, you know, you look at the two games prior to that, both requiring overtime, the amount of extra play that it takes to get to that point. they They played more than half of another game in Game 6 just to force the Game 7. So I think that by the time – not only by the time they got that Game 7 underway, but once they gave up the first one and the second one in pretty short order afterwards, I think that from that point on, that was a team running on empty that had emptied the tank in Game 6 and didn't have anything left for the Islanders in Game 7, and it was as simple as that. So you know, credit the Islanders for finding that gear that they needed to win Game 7. And obviously, you know, the Flyers poured everything they had into those two games to make it exciting, to get everybody really hyped up for a game seven, but it just wasn't in the cards.
0: Yep. Um, And uh, after the game, I mean, you take a listen to some of the things that uh, Elaine Vigneault said, anything stand out to you? I mean, did he seem to, mm, I don't want to say target, but uh, did he insinuate that he wasn't happy with his top guys?
2: I think he was just not happy with the result in general. I mean, I, I think it goes across the board. It wasn't just the top guys. It was just the result in general. And I think that, you know, as much as it is, I think with some reflection, it was that this team was out of gas and didn't have anything left for them. It it, it nonetheless, you know, it doesn't take the sting away immediately after the game's over that you had a shot to win one game and move on to the conference finals and you didn't do it. And, and the goal is to, to take those steps progressively. Uh, you know, obviously that not a lot of people thought that the Flyers were be in a game seven of the second round the first year with elaine vigno as head coach and the first full year with chuck fletcher and with so many young guys on the roster but at the same time you get to that point and you wanted to see them take that step you wanted to see somebody step up and and be that guy who took took over the game and and it's never there and it really wasn't there throughout the series quite honestly i mean it took everybody on the team to win the, the three games they did all in overtime obviously and i just got the sense both from laveney and and carter hart too cuz they're two guys who i could you could noticeably tell that they, there was just something in their mind that that, th- that this is going to be motivation for next year it's going to be motivation moving forward because they felt like they could be better than what they were you know for carter hart to shoulder it like that you know it, it doesn't fall on him he basically carried them through that series and yet for him to sit there and basically flat out with a little bit of you know a little bit of anger in his voice tell you how much it sucks that the season's over it said a lot, you know, how motivated he'll be, and and Elan Vigneault too, because that's the one thing that he's got left in in his coaching career that he hasn't done is win a Stanley Cup, and that's that's the goal for him as well. So I think that you have got some motivation moving forward. There's going to be a chip on their shoulder going into the next year because they're going to want to see much more than what they got out of this year.
1: I'm kind of torn because when, when I look at some of these young guns like Farabee, Hart, Law in Sanheim, Myers, it's like, okay, this is a great experience. Even though some of them struggled, I still think it's a great experience to go up against playoff hockey teams. But then you look at the veteran side and you really can't go with, oh, well, Claude Drew got experience or Couturier, Vortec, they got experience. Those were the ones that we need to step up and. I don't know how we assess what they do and what the Flyers do moving forward because you can't be satisfied with those type of players just gaining experience in that type of series.
2: No, you can't. And I think one of the biggest things for me, and I had told you guys this a little bit last week when it was 3-1 in the series before the two games that they did win to force the Game 7. The Islanders come out and they've got a guy like Matthew Barzil, and when the puck's on his stick and he's skating circles around you, you can just get the sense that he's the guy who takes over the entire shift right there. And the Flyers don't have that guy. You know, As much as we want to pinpoint Sean Couturier as a guy who continues to rise, might be an elite two-way center, he's up for the selkie that will be announced in two days. And nonetheless, he's not that takeover guy. We wanted to see Travis Konechny step up and be the goal scorer he was in the regular season in the playoffs, and he didn't score in 16 games. I think that when it comes to when it comes to guys like Claude Drew and Jake Voracek, two guys who have been here for the long haul, it, it's got to stop it. I think that one of the biggest things that's got to change for these guys is that we keep focusing on them, for, and for a valid reason. They're on the top line, so they get the most ice time. And they, they're supposed to be the guys who step up in that situation, but I don't think they are those guys, like those guys anymore. You can't rely on them to be the guy to take over the game. And as long as they're still the core and still playing in the most significant roles, not just because they get the most time, but because they make the most money, things like that, then you're going to get this kind of response. Like That's the way you're going to feel about those guys, is that there's always something more to be desired from them. Whereas if the, the role was reduced with the current tra- trajectory of their careers, they're on the, you know, they're on the back nine of the career at this point. You have to start to see the other guys step up to become the go-tos and not so rely so heavily on Quadru to be a goal scorer or Jake Voracek to be a goal scorer, because it's just, you know, it, we've been on this ride before. It's just not going to happen that way. They need to fit into the roles that are much more custom for them at this stage of their careers and not be the guy that you look at to to be the most production. Simple as that.
1: So with that being said, do you anticipate maybe some sort of moves this offseason when it comes to the veteran? Now, I know everyone screams about Claude Giroux, but he is a no-trade clause, and I don't think he's really going anywhere. But can you move on from a Voracek? Can Chuck Fletcher maybe make a big-time trade or, or maybe go after someone in free agency? I know they're missing a goal scorer, and, and the name that comes to my head sometimes, I know he's been maybe underwhelming in Winnipeg, but would a Patrick Line help out? Like They definitely need someone who can actually put the puck in the net at the same time.
2: Yeah, what, what, that's what they need. They need a guy who absolutely, when, when he steps on the ice, the thing you're thinking of is, is a goal is being scored. And Barzell's been that guy for, for the Islanders. And you look at Tampa and you see Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov and you think that way with them. And there's other teams around the division that bring the same thing and around the conference. You know, Boston's got Pasternak. And, you know, for even the other teams, even as they're – increasing in age, you know, you still feel that way when Ovechkin steps on the ice for Washington or you feel that way when Crosby's on the ice for Pittsburgh. It doesn't change that because they're have that. they that kind of dynamic player that makes teams shake in their boots when they come on the ice because they don't want to see them for as much as they do because they're such a threat. That's what the Flyers really need. It's hard to get. You have to sometimes get lucky to find one like that. I mean, you think about the way that the Lightning have formed their team. It's a lot of guys who were drafted outside the first round, some undrafted free agents at times, And they mold them into players that become really talented, high potential, and really know how to get it done. And that's why it feels like their time is now. And the Islanders have done a lot of the same things where these are a lot of players that were brought in and molded with the team over the years, not guys who were just brought in through trades or free agency. I don't know if you're going to see many trades. I definitely don't think you're going to see trades that involve Claude Giroux or Jake Voracek or anything like that. I do think there's a sense that they want to move on from some of the other contracts, though. Like, you know, James Van Riemsdijk comes to mind. It's not – he's a guy who was in and out of the lineup and obviously carries a huge cap. It's going to be tough to move. I think that what you're going to have to see, especially with a flat cap over the course of the offseason, you're going to have to see some really creative things happen. And I I think that means you're going to have to – Think really long and hard if you're Chuck Fletcher about where you want to go if you were to make any form of a trade. And I mean, in saying that, I mean the willingness to move a prospect or to move a draft pick or move something that would help your future. And trying to get rid of something in the present that can help, you know, can help you free up some cap space to address some of the other needs. But it's going to be really tough to do anything just straightforward in free agency because of the way the cap is structured. So I think you're going to have to see some really creative things happen for a lot to change for a lot of teams out there, not just the Flyers.
0: Yeah, Kevin Derso covers the Flyers. He's with us here at the Boardwalk on the Hotline. It's hard to, you know. It was, I'm not saying a disappointing season. It was obviously a very uh, successful year. I think they exceeded expectations. I would say the disappointment would be, if you know you're coming back with Giroux, Jake Voracek, Sean Couturier, and that crew again, do your expectations, uh, are they better for next year if that's, you bring back the same core? It was almost like when you had, you know, Wayne Simmons was a part of it, and it was like, hey. We keep bringing back this same group of four guys. Uh, I know Konechny's young, and I know you've got some other younger players, but your your core guys are still, it sounds like, going to be back next year. So is there room for growth? It seems that uh, to think that they could take a big leap if that's your, still your core it seems to be a little far-fetched, No
2: yes and no and, I, and like i said i think as long as you continue to put those guys in the top roles then that's the way to, that's the way you're going to think about it you're going to look at the same guys and go well we know what they provide so how can it get me better you need to see travis connect me at 23 years old now take the leap and be in the spot that Claude Giroux in and play more minutes and be more productive. You know what you're going to get from Claude Giroux every year now. You know what you're going to get from Jake Borchek. And you'd like to see Sean Couturier continue to progress upward or at least level off at what he's been in the last three, four years, because that's formed some sort of consistency. But you need the other ones to continue to grow. And who knows? Maybe if you can insert more of these guys, you know, it is a valuable, like Brods was saying, it is a valuable experience for a 20-year-old Joel Faraby to get into the playoffs, play a few games, have some production, and, Take that and, and try to grow next year to be even better. You're going to hopefully see Nolan Patrick back. You're going to hopefully see more of a role for Morgan Frost, and and hopefully you're going to see Oscar Lindblom get back to his form as well. It was just you know as miraculous as it was for him to even appear in those last two games. You hope that now he takes that, knowing that he was able to make the return, and you know, assuming his health stays the way it has been and that uh, in the way it was, that will allow him to even come back he can get back to form as well. And then defensively, same thing. You saw steps from Provorov, from Phil Myers, from Travis Stanton. These guys who you need to continue to grow and be better. And now I think you just need to focus on putting guys around them who fill that veteran need. You know, Matt Niskanen was really good for Ivan Provorov, and maybe he can be good lower in the lineup. You can add somebody else who can fill the same role at, at a good cost. Or, or you add another forward who gives you some of that you know, Like like we said, maybe you find a way to work around some of those contracts and get a forward in here who has more of a scoring ability and, and adds to that as well. But those are things that are hard to find, especially with not a lot of money floating around. So realistically, I think the expectations rely on the younger guys not only continuing to grow but assuming some of the more major roles because as long as you keep guys like Claude Drew and Jake Voracek at the very top, knowing what to expect from them, then it kind of keeps the the progression going into a plateau, and you're just going to continue to see the same thing. It's why it was constantly the borderline playoff appearances and first-round exits for all those years. I think by this point, you've spread them, you've stretched them as far as they'll go. You need to see other guys assume bigger roles and see if that takes you to a little bit of a next level and see if that helps you to address the, the other needs of this team because it's not, it's not not can't just sit on Drew and Voracek any longer. It just can't.
1: Now that Justin Braun is a UFA, would you think that they bring him back or would they go down another road? They did give up a second- and a third-round pick, and I'm not going to lie. I'm, I was a little underwhelmed with what he brought to the table here all season long.
2: Yeah, I looked at, in looking at some of the expiring contracts on the team early on, there's really only two guys that I'm really inquiring about that are unrestricted free agents at this point. The restricted free agents, you know, I think Phil Myers needs a new contract. Nick lavey needs a new contract. Nolan Patrick needs a new contract, and these are guys I think you just have to work out internally because they are still under your control. Uh, as, for the, as for the unrestricted free agents, there's only two that I'm looking at who I would really consider bringing back. One of them I think you have to at least look into seeing what Brian Elliott's going to ask is, as a backup for Carter Hart because I think he did a good job this year. He gave you a chance to win when he played in the playoffs as well, and that's all you can ask from your backup. So I think that having him around continues to give you that stability and goal. And I'd look into Tyler Pitlick. I, I don't know, you know, if he wants a significant raise, and I think you move on from him because of the fact that there's there's a lot of guys out there in the league that can fill the role that he did. But if he's willing to take the similar contract and play, again, like another one-year, million-dollar contract, then I'm, I'm interested in that. And I, I think that that's something the Flyers would be interested in as well. But the others, you know, you've seen the last of Nate Thompson. You've seen the last of Derek Grant, in my opinion. And I think you've seen the last of Justin Braun as well. I think that those are guys that they're just going to move on from and Either fill that gap internally or go out there and just see what's floating out there in free agency. But I don't think that those guys are coming back.
0: All right. Uh, obviously, we don't know what next season is going to bring. We don't even know when it's going to start. We have no idea. Uh, I don't. Have you even began to to look at the possibility of free agents that could be out there that that are attractive?
2: Looking around, there's not an awful lot, to be honest. I mean, I, in, in hindsight, like I look at the James Henry contract from years ago, and I think that that's a year where maybe the Flyers were better just sitting out. I think Ron Hexall made a signing just to try to make some noise and get a guy in. And, and it was a guy who everybody was familiar with already. It wasn't like it was some new guy from out there in the league that was generating noise as a free agent. This is a guy who had already played in the organization, so it kind of felt like you knew what you were getting to an extent. And it was a guy who had production playing in a lesser role for Toronto all those years. I I think that's a year where you maybe should have just sat it out and maybe seen what you could have gotten internally uh, from guys if you would have promoted them instead of giving a contract like that out where you're tying up $7 million of your cap space for the next five years. It, It just didn't make a lot of sense. I wonder if that's kind of the same way the free agency is this year with the flat cap. It's going to be so complicated for so many teams. It's not a great year to be a free agent. And, unless you're willing to take a significant pay cut possibly from what you expected in free agency, then it's not going to be an attractive free agency. I don't think it's going to be the frenzy it normally is. So there's not a lot out there and especially not a lot out there in terms of pure goal scorers. about the closest thing that's out there is Mike Hoffman's a free agent from Florida. But again, he's more on the aging side. And again, is not necessarily a, a player that I think you want to tie yourself to for several years. I think it, that would be more of a band aid and not a long-term fix. So there's not a whole lot out there, and it might just be best to either explore the trade market or look internally.
0: Well, it's the first off season in my lifetime, I think, that we had an ask about the goaltending because we know that that's all settled. But a lot of other questions. For more, go to 97.3ESPN.com. Follow Kevin Durso on Twitter at Kevin underscore uh, Dersho. And, uh, of course, he did a great job all season long uh, during the uh the, uh the the pause and then on the comeback here he has a great piece up now a flyer season of great progress meaning a future of uncertainty go check that out now at 973esbn.com and he like all guests appeared via the boardwalk honda hotline thank you so much kevin great job this year thanks guys appreciate it yeah man it's uh almost sad that we're not gonna be catching up with Dursa for a while it would seem Yeah. I don't even know when next season's going to even
1: get underway. Do you think the Flyers are getting a free pass because it went right into the Eagles first week and they had such an abysmal game that happened on a long weekend that
0: they're getting a free pass for playing poorly in a game seven? Yeah, I think people have forgotten about that game already because it happened on Saturday and then you had the weekend. You're probably a little hungover and then Monday came. You don't even know what day it is and now it's Tuesday and it's like, wait, the Flyers lost. They're done. And then last night the Islanders have already played. Not so well, by the way.
1: Yeah, I think it's fair to be underwhelmed with their Game 7 performance, but when you look at what this team has brought you, they were one game away from the Eastern Conference Finals. Imagine saying that in October. The Flyers will get one game away from the Eastern Conference Finals?
0: I would have said, you're nuts. What are you smoking? I got to tell you. I hate to say it, but I would love to have seen what would happen in a normal situation if that game was at Wells Fargo Center and the whole playoffs were normal. I mean, I think... One thing we're seeing, both in the NBA and in hockey, is this neutral site thing is making these games wonky, man. Definitely. No doubt about it. I don't know if it's better or worse. What do you think? Some people are loving the NBA games because there is no home court advantage. Yeah, I don't like it. And it's really making it who's the better team, not just because you're on your home court.
1: Yeah, but that's a part of
0: sports. I know. I know, but just like think about that. That hey you take that element out of it who's the better team like college basketball plays their biggest games on neutral courts
1: but there's still fans there there is so that rise is still there it's just in a
0: different way sports best brought to you by gms law make the right call for convenient locations to serve you online gmslaw.com we got uh grayson's grades. he's grades the 53-man roster there were some surprising cuts over the weekend they seemed like they were forever ago too We'll get into that and more. Plus football at four with Andrew DeChenko. Oh, and the debut edition of Who's In, Who's Out tonight at five thirty. Bash with Mike Gill weekdays from two to six South Jersey's number one sports talk radio show on ninety seven three ESPN FM Sports Bash is brought to you by Maplat They want to get you approved today. Maplat is sixty two eleven Blackwood Spike Egg Harbor Township. I'm Mike Gill at Mike Gill Show on Twitter. He's Hunter Brody at broads eighty one. You had some. uh very interesting video reactions to some of the events this weekend.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to implement that into the whole uh, Twitter sphere, if you will. I'm I'm going to be more active on the Twitter with the videos, and a couple of them had some nice
0: views. Yeah, I saw. Um, I showed uh, my girlfriend a couple of them, and she just like, you work with this guy? Yeah. Well, I I think the one the made one? it to NBC uh, the news.
1: Yeah. Yeah, made it on the news. John Clark utilized it in one of his uh, NBC uh, packages. For if you what? Will. What, the uh, Flyers game six reaction in oh. overtime.
0: Okay, so the one that you were telling me about, Reese Hoskins yesterday, I didn't see what happened. So I, I turned the game, it was 5-0, nothing, all right? And then I saw it was 6-3. to three. I saw Wheeler give up like the four straight doubles. Yeah. And it's 6-3. to three. Then I ended up leave the house for a little bit, and then when I looked back on my phone, it was 7-7. Seven to seven. I was like, what's going on here? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what happened. David Phelps set up a
1: three-run bomb to McNeil, and I thought David Phelps was going to be an awesome acquisition. He really hasn't been to this point.
0: It's JoJo just because Romero he had a bad outing. Yeah,
1: he's had a couple now, though. You know. But yeah, Reese Hoskins was at third base with one out. Right? Yeah. Third base, one out. Infield's in, ground ball to the shortstop. They yeah. send him. Yeah, but your reaction in the video, I couldn't tell if the
0: third base coach did a good job or oh, a bad job. Oh, that was the
1: Andrew Knapp one. Oh. That was Andrew Knapp. Well, he did a bad job. He's like, go, 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 oh, no, hold on, hold on. So it was almost like what are you doing? You got you got the guy all screwed up. Okay. Dusty, he's the worst. He's the worst. Who was the
0: third bay coast they had the last couple years that D- everybody thought Dusty. he was no. They got before him. Oh, I don't know.
1: I've just been screaming at Dusty for the last 3 seasons. Guys, a nut job. But well, you couldn't tell I was pissed off with Dusty. No, I, I didn't know if you
0: were. That yeah, one? I didn't know if yeah, if you were excited that he sent somebody and they scored the game-winning run or not or not. Well, I think he was confused on what he was telling Andrew Knapp, Just like you were confused watching me.